0: with Ken Cox. I'm Matthew Appleby, the editor of Horticulture Week. And Ken's family firm, Glendoik Nursery and Garden Centre in Perthshire, has been supplying plants and gardening advice to gardeners since 1953. It is renowned around the world as a breeder of rhododendrons. And aside from writing award-winning gardening books, Ken is also a plant hunter who has travelled to some of the most remote areas on Earth in search of new species. And Ken is a bit of a renaissance man, I think. He's one of my favourite characters in horticulture. Now, first of all, Ken, you're also a magician. Not a magician, a musician. (laughs) How's that going? (laughs) Um,
1: Yes, you're very kind, Matthew, to say that. Um, um, Yeah, no, music has been a bit of a pain in the neck since uh, lockdown, obviously, um, as we've been banned from playing live music. And I had a sort of three nights a week live music habit, so that wasn't very good. But... um, I have a an international bunch of um, songwriters um, who we we meet every two weeks and share new material and work on each other's songs and so on. And uh, so that's been that's been a lifesaver, really. And uh, so I've written a lot of songs actually since lockdown. But... Ah, brilliant! What, what sort of music is it? Oh, it's pretty dilettante, really. I suppose a lot of it is in the is in the category now called Americana, but um, I also do quite a lot of Latin stuff and. Um, and I, I'm I'm actually writing a book on songwriting at the moment with a songwriter called Boo Hewardine, who um, used to be in a band called The Bible, but he's a he's a basically a, a songwriter who writes with and for lots of other uh, artists all over the world. So uh, it's, it's quite an interesting project.
0: Wow, you really are a Renaissance man. Now I want to talk a bit about your your new book, which has just come out. The author of you're the author of Gardening Made Simple. Um, And it aims to take the mystery out of growing for anyone who's new to gardening. So can you tell me a bit more about how that one came about? Well, what I noticed when we
1: reopened in the end of May last year, um, we had an astonishing footfall of people who'd never done any gardening before, who came into the garden centre and basically just told me, we have no idea where to start. We wanted to garden, but we don't know what we need. And they find the whole garden centre experience quite daunting Um, and I've written other books like Garden Plants for Scotland and Fruit and Vegetables for Scotland, but there's far too much detail. These these are books for people who already are established gardeners. Um, And so I talked to quite a lot of beginner gardeners about what it was that they wanted to know, and they wanted to know things like, why are there so many kinds of compost? What does a bedding plant do? And, and, uh, you know, how... Why do I have to throw it out when it's finished flowering? Those kind of questions, which I think we garden centre owners sort of take for granted that people already know that stuff. But we we have got a lot of, as I say, new gardeners. You'll know the statistics on this, Matt. Um, how many new gardeners supposedly came into the into gardening? It's three million. Three million was it?
0: So it's so it's sad, yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's 3 million people who um, we we would like to hang on to, obviously. But in order for them to become committed gardeners, they need to succeed at what they do. They don't need to come into a garden centre and buy the wrong stuff. Otherwise, they're going to be put off, I thought. So it's basically about trying to get an easy win. You know, if they want to grow produce to encourage them to grow easy things like strawberries and potatoes and maybe not bother with celeriac and basil, which are really difficult. Well, basil's probably easy if you live in the south of England, but I can tell you in Scotland it's a waste of space unless you've got a very warm tunnel house to grow it in because it hates it. Um, And, yes, things like if if you want to grow tomatoes, for example, if you read the back packet of seeds, it will tell you that there's this interesting concept called outdoor tomatoes. Well, for Scotland, there's no such thing as an outdoor tomato. You grow a tomato outdoors, you'll get, if you're lucky, you'll get green tomatoes, but you won't get them to ripen. So it's kind of issues like this, really. Uh, And the other thing that um, it struck me that we use too much jargon and too much Latin for many beginner gardeners. So I try to eradicate as much Latin as possible, use common names and and that kind of thing. And it's 100 pages. It's got masses of pictures in it. This book costs about a tenner and it's kind of like I, it seems to me to, it's, it's an investment that you could easily persuade someone who was going to spend a, a reasonable amount on their garden a 10 pound book that would stop them from making basic mistakes and and just encourage them um to know what to do
0: uh would be a good idea so that's what i did now great it sounds like it's going to be really really useful for those three million gardeners now you mentioned that you know uh, the concept of this came about in May when you reopened, and obviously you've been you've had another lockdown since then. So, how did you cope as a business during that lockdown? Well, um, the
1: the lockdown last spring was much much worse, really, because it, it 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 was it was March to the end of May. We lost the whole the whole peak season for plants and growing, and so that was a disaster this year we lost um a um, january and february and then we managed to reopen as an essential retailer because we revamped our food hall and and built ourselves a new farm shop so we reopened at the beginning of march and we've had very good sales since then so um i'm 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 reasonably philosophical about it that um and interestingly enough, uh, garden centres in Scotland are allowed to open their indoor cafes yesterday, which I believe in England they're not allowed to do yet. Is that right?
0: That's correct. Not until next month. Until May, well into May.
1: Right. So that's going to make a difference. Um,
0: I, I, I think um, the, the idea of
1: outdoor cafes in Scottish garden centres is, is, is not a great one anyway, because it's cold. It's very cold and rainy and horrible at the moment. So so that, that's a good thing. Um yeah, so I I, I I suppose I'm 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 philosophical that we lost January and February and um, we've we've been trading well since then. So um, I guess we have to say we're reasonably fortunate.
0: But it's not all been plain sailing. Well, far from it. Um, it's, you've had issues with um, exporting in particular, I believe. Yes, this is another separate issue. I mean, one of the issues with garden centres in
1: Scotland is that we uh, obviously, like all the garden centres in Scotland, reserved all their stock for the spring. And then um, the demand in England was so high in March that all the Scottish allocations of plants got sold instead to English garden centres. So by the time Scottish garden centres tried to get their stock at the end of March, there wasn't any left. Um which was, which was very annoying. Yes, no, the EC exporting thing. Um, this was something that really blindsided the horticulture, agriculture, and fishing industries um, in the UK, because I'm not sure Boris and his um, happy band of uh, Brexiteers uh, read the small print of the thing they were signing up to. Um, and essentially by refusing to belong to the single market or any other um, uh, trading uh, organization that, that within the EU um, Britain is now treated as a country outside Europe like so it's a bit like exporting to Europe is a bit like exporting from Africa or Asia or America to Europe um, and uh, that means that you if you grow potatoes in the soil you can't export them if you grow plants in the soil you can't export them um, and that included Northern Ireland um, the the EU uh, the, the British government have unilaterally broken the agreement they signed with Northern Ireland, and we are apparently and now uh, currently allowed to send plants to Northern Ireland, but not according to the EU. Now, I've heard the Daily Mail and various other papers blaming all this on the EU, but uh, these are rules that the that the UK actually created when they were in the EU. Uh, the EU is simply applying the rules that already existed, um, and uh, it's it's devastated the Scottish seed potato industry because they can't export anymore. Uh, It's also affected uh, Scotland's um, and the rest of Britain's uh, export of of shellfish, for example. Um, And the simple thing to do would be for Boris and his merry pranksters to admit that this wasn't a very good idea and ask if they can rejoin the single market and that's problem solved and we can carry on trading as we used to, which would make life much easier for everybody. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen in the short term, but in the long term, um, and maybe if there's a change of government at some point, that uh, the EU would be more than happy to, to renegotiate and, and for uh, the UK to rejoin the single market. Scotland has actually applied to do it unilaterally um, to, to rejoin the single market. But uh, as yet, that hasn't, that hasn't happened. But that's my hope,
0: because otherwise it's a farce Oh, well, in, in Scotland, there is elections coming up, so there could be a change of government. and It seems unlikely there will be. But um, as you say, um, you know, the, the uh, SNP wants to rejoin the EU. Um, but would that create a hard border with England and it means that you couldn't export to England either?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it seems to me that that would put even more pressure on England to rejoin the single market or some version of it or the European free trading um, area. Um there's, no, there's really no good reason um, it's, it's one or two of Boris's far right headbanging idiots that, that came up with this idea. There was pretty much consensus in Theresa May's time with all the parties that, the single, that uh, remaining in the single market or the European free trade area would have been a good idea um uh, it's one of these things where you go we shouldn't really have asked the people whether they wanted to leave the eu but having done that let's 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 come to a sensible thing that would be good for everybody and th- and that would have been a simple
0: simple enough um, arrangement well it seems like it's created all sorts of chaos and you did mention plant supply earlier on and uh, how that is going from scotland to england before the scottish centres reopened and there's been shortages you know in, around the whole of the UK I mean how are things situated now in terms of um, supply and demand and shortages well we
1: we've got good stocks in at the moment but I suspect certain so certain of our uh, some of the biggest suppliers like fire plants for example down in the south of England um, they seem to be very short on supply Um, so I've been scrabbling about getting stock from anywhere Um, just to go back to the exporting thing i have had three letters from the uk environment minister who's uh sidestepping the points that i'm making he claims that one of the reasons that we have these uh, these new eu regulations in place are to do with um pests and disease and us protecting our borders but the 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 problem with that theory is that uh, the eu is perfect are still able to export plants with soil into the uk it's plants with soil that were grown in soil aren't allowed to be exported out of the UK and into the EU. I wouldn't mind so much if it was a level playing field, but it's not. So the, the pest and disease argument would certainly hold water if the UK were making more stringent regulations to prevent uh, to pests and diseases coming in from stock from the EU. But they're really not doing that in, to any, any great extent. So, I mean, one of the things which which would help us is if the, if, if the UK... Mentioned to the EU that they were they were thinking about making the same rules apply from EU to the UK exports, and then maybe
0: a level playing field might be found. Maybe now it's certainly the case that exports from the Netherlands to the UK have risen in the last few months, as the UK has not been able to meet the demand through its own growers. Yeah. Uh, so that idea of import substitution has taken off a bit, but not enough to be able to meet meet demand. I mean, are, are you increasing your production? Well, it's very difficult
1: to know. I mean, I've lost a third of my best customers. My best customers are in Ireland, Scandinavia, Germany, Holland, France, um, and I can't export to them. So I'm, I'm not sure if, if the situation is going to change and some agreement is going to be reached in the next few years, then um, maybe I can increase production but it i mean it takes 2 or 3 years to produce more rhododendrons and azaleas and uh, and i don't really know what i should do i don't want to produce stock that i can't sell
0: that's so a, it's a difficult one really it is a, it is a difficult one so you you're getting some good um, communication from from defra from george Eustace, i i, I assume I mean, do you, do you have uh, sort of any faith that you know that will come to anything that you know the um the concerns of real people on the ground are going to be listened to Um, He simply ignored, I made five or six
1: points, all of, he ignored all of them every time. So I just sent it back again and said, you need to answer the actual questions. The questions were about soil, potatoes, um, shellfish, all the issues um, to do with that. And, um, and the fact that the, the, the agreements weren't reciprocal, it wasn't, it was a one way Thing, but um, because it's not convenient for him to discuss the fact that they've made a bit of an error here, they, he won't. He won't actually deal with the issues. Uh, unfortunately, um, the Scottish government have been extremely helpful, but the UK government not. I'm not sure. When Michael Gove was in charge of the environment brief, he was really on it. Uh, uh, he he really understood the issues, but I'm not sure that the current minister um, is quite so afraid with the issues. Or maybe he is, and he's just ignoring them because. It's politically expedient to do so, but I haven't had a satisfactory answer as to what they think they're going to do about it. He did tell me rather proudly that that, that we were able to export into Northern Ireland. But as I say, that's the UK is breaking EU rules and the EU is probably going to um, not accept that. Retaliate even, maybe. Retaliate in some ways, yeah, yeah.
0: No, it's interesting because George Eustace is obviously from um, a growing background. So, you know, he knows his onions. He's from a strawberry growing background. And Rebecca Powell, also in the ministry, is from a sort of professional gardening background. But I suppose Eustace is, you know, renowned for his anti-EU um, stance. So uh, I guess that colours, yeah. you know, everything that he does.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So he wouldn't be sympathetic to the idea of remaining in the single market or the European trading um Block, which is what norway i think belongs to um and uh, that, i mean that really would solve so many
0: problems in very short order no well it could remain a, a long-going issue and, a, and a, an ongoing struggle um and also looking overseas you're, you're known for your your plant hunting but um that's not easy anymore either is it no um and i i so the Kyoto
1: protocols um which are now about fifteen years old I think basically said that the the um the West has treated the uh, the bio rich regions of the world like something they could plunder with impunity um, they could take plants and plant material out of these countries often naming them after their friends and relatives without asking and that's basically the way it's been for hundreds and hundreds of years so in the um early 90s, the Rio Biodiversity uh, Conference, um, this was discussed by very uh, species-rich countries like India, China, Brazil, uh, Costa Rica, and so on. Um, And they decided that it would be under the sort of UN cover, it would be a good idea to actually stop this, this attitude that you can just go and collect stuff um, and that is essentially where we're at now the usa hasn't signed up to the kyoto protocol so they're still um they botanic gardens and they're they're still going out collecting stuff but from my point of view um i'm i'm since that's come in i've decided it's not i'm not prepared to to go plant hunting anymore um mainly because it's really impossible to get what you have to, in order to get permission to go plant hunting now you have to essentially give them a list of the plants you want and the locations you're going to find them at and you you have to also explain how you intend to use the plant so if you're going to commercialize them it's supposed to share the benefits which is which is fair enough but the the whole problem about plant hunting is i'm really only interested in going to places that people haven't been before so i have no idea what i'm going to find so i can't i'm not able to give them the list um so all in all i mean i was really lucky to get in and into tibet and northeast india in a period when it was possible and um and I'm getting old and rickety now so I'm I'm, I'm... <laughs> my, my dad carried on going until he was nearly 80 but I I've, I feel like maybe that my plant hunting days have, have, have finished I don't
0: know oh that's a, that's a shame so wh- where do you get your new varieties from then well I
1: guess we can breed them there are other people still going plant hunting and I'm pretty friendly with most of the people who are doing it so occasionally they come up with something interesting um and um so yeah, there are still uh, uh, new species of plants trickling in from
0: time to time. What's next on the horizon? What's what's new that's coming in that you're excited by? Um, actually, I'm sort of more
1: excited about the breeding work we're doing. We we've um, we've been breeding rhododendrons with red leaves, uh, like wine and roses, which you'll find in most garden centres. Everred is another one, and I've got a new one called Wonderred which is just getting plant breeders rights and that will be produced in large numbers probably in Europe over the next few years um and so i'm 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 interested in 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 new varieties that add something that aren't that doesn't already exist and and obviously colored foliage and rhododendrons rhododendrons are, f- are fantastic plants but they do most of their thing in the spring and so if you've got ones that have colored leaves uh as a as a year round um attraction then that adds to their um to their garden valley and so that's something we've been working on so we've got uh, variegated rhododendrons blue leaf rhododendrons um, and so on and and red leaf rhododendrons and that's something that i'm going to carry on working with and we've Very also fun. been breeding a lot of evergreen azaleas uh, all with the glendoyd trademark um and again they're they're all being trialed in Holland at the moment, and uh, they'll they'll be. I mean, we, at the moment, we're the only people that are selling them, but that's going that's about to come on stream too. So it's it's um so new cultivars from Glendoe are, are coming onto the market, and over the next ten years or so.
0: Great, we'll look out for them. And what other developments have you got for the future? What what about books? What what you must have another book on the go. Um. Well, I I mentioned the one about songwriting. I, I've got a
1: couple of other ideas for books, which I'm not going to necessarily talk about as you're a <laughs> if I have a good idea, you'll have a good idea, Matthew. You, <laughs> you write as many books as I do. Um oh. but uh so yeah, I, I don't um I, I don't have any plans for any more gardening books right now, but what I do keep um doing new editions of the of the older books as they need updating, so that tends to keep me fairly busy. My last six books have all had a, sec, a sort of new edition um, come out. So uh, that, that takes a bit of time. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'll have be updating the the Scotland garden book. I think maybe that's something that's gonna move online rather than as a book because it's easier to update that way. Um, but no, a songwriting book is my next project. Um, and uh, that will <laughs> bring
0: me to an entirely different audience, hopefully, but that's great. Now, that sounds fantastic. And what about the garden centre? You mentioned that you just put in a a farm shop. Anything else planned there? Yeah, we already had a food food hall, but it was more
1: of a I would say it was more of a typical sort of gift food hall. And we're now doing baking, uh, fish, uh, vegetables, meat, local supply and so on. It's been it's been and it's uh, that started in March and that's been going well very hard work and didn't realize how hard work it was trying to sell fresh veg and stuff, but it's, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's been popular. So we'll see how that goes. Um, as for other investments at the garden center, we're looking at wellbeing as a, as another area of, um, uh, so we, we may, um, look at putting in some units that we can offer, um, things like hair, hair salons and, um, pet, maybe pet, care and uh, that sort of thing that's that's something that we're looking at and also um sort of well-being stuff like, like yoga and and uh walking and that kind of thing it all seems to be part of what um garden centers seem to be giving a good healthy outdoorsy good for mental health good for physical health kind of message and i think that's probably the way that we need to keep moving forward it's really interesting to see with the demise of the high street and the uh the way amazon is 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 uh, sort of eating everybody up how how retailing is going to work over the next few years um that remains to be seen, but obviously garden centers are doing pretty well at the moment, and uh, so long may it continue um, but uh, yeah no i'm i'm quite I'm quite optimistic at the moment about the way things are going.
0: No, I was going to ask you, you know what are your kind of hopes for the future for for what you have, which is um a pretty hybrid operation there? yeah
1: that that i mean that is one of the challenges um is is being a garden center operator requires an incredible number of skills in buying and retailing and legally and and so on running cafes and catering it's very very complicated it's it's endless it's seven days a week um it's relentless the the only time to you can relax is you have to you have to go away on holiday that in itself is obviously a problem <laughs> uh, at the moment um but uh and i'm also doing quite a lot of um interesting garden design and and uh projects and whatever i'm about to start work at leonard's lee um gardens in uh in sussex which uh, to do their um kind of garden management plan um that's one of the great woodland gardens that we thought we'd lost when it was sold by the loader family but um the South African family who have taken over Leonard's Lee are investing hugely in it. It's amazing what they're doing. And, and it's great to see one of the great woodland gardens being brought back to life. It's already well worth a visit uh, now, but there's all sorts of uh, other plans ahead there. They've got a wine a wine business and a winery next door, and they're, they're working on that at the moment. So it's very exciting. Uh, the rock garden. 1890s rock garden that was been restored there is an absolute masterpiece. It's really worth seeing. So that's very exciting. Um, and all these great woodland gardens all need constant attention and, and reinvention. So um, that's something that I've been working on for years and years and years. And, and there's no, I, I imagine that, that that will carry on. Uh, quite a lot of them have ground to a halt in, during lockdown. Um, I was supposed to be working at Knight's Haze, but that's been knocked on the head for the time being. But I expect that, um, that this, this will all come back into focus again i hope and there's a lot of work going on in ireland at the moment restoring gardens uh which is great the office of public works in in ireland um have been taking over the restoration of many of the great gardens in ireland and uh, that's
0: great to see so yeah it's pretty exciting times really no oh, indeed and we've covered a lot of ground there we've we've covered great gardens with garden centers catering exporting, plant hunting, the Kyoto treatment, the SMP, the EU, and we've given a message to George Eustace to listen to what the industry has to say. So, Ken, that has been absolutely brilliant. It's been fantastic talking to you as ever. And um, I'm Matthew Appleby, and um, thanks for listening to the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week podcast via Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.